critically important for our fruitfulness in missionary endeavor. It will make a difference as to, as Jim, Jim said, absolutely, how many are saved under, under God's hand and in His providence. We'll start with a little story. Uh, I just want to read this to you from uh, by a man named Dwayne called Cultural Connection. Uh, a, a very seasoned missionary, his life in, uh, in Africa, and has just come back, retired in the UK, put me onto this book, uh, and uh, Cultural Connections, he said that he thought it was the best entry uh, sort of into this, into the subject. It's a simple book, but uh, it's, uh, it's probably worth reading. Um, a typhoon had temporarily stranded a monkey on an island in a secure, protected place. While waiting for the raging waters to recede, he spotted a fish swimming against the current. It seemed obvious to the monkey that the fish was struggling and in need of assistance. And being of kind heart, the monkey resolved to help the fish. Okay, we're the monkey, right? You got that much? <laughs> a tree precariously dangled over the very spot where the fish seemed to be struggling. At considerable risk to himself, the monkey moved far out on a limb, reached down and snatched the fish from the threatening waters. Immediately scurrying back to the safety of his shelter, he carefully laid the fish on dry ground. For a few moments, the fish showed excitement. <laughs> but soon settled into a peaceful rest. <laughs> Joy and satisfaction swelled inside the monkey. He had successfully helped another creature. And we can see that this monkey is undertaking this whole enterprise from within the monkey culture and worldview. Right? He's not gotten out to say, what do fish like? And uh, what is secure for them? And what is safety for them? And so that we can see instead of saving the fish, he killed the fish. Let's see if I can get this going. Uh-oh. This is not good news. Well, it doesn't matter. You've got it on your... Yeah. It's all right. Oh, it's okay. You know, Fred, they've got the basic information on their sheet, so it's it's okay. Okay, if you, I'll I'll start, and we can we can see if you can get it going. Uh, the first question that we want to ask ourselves is is what is cultural adaptation? Um, and to do that, we need to ask what is culture. Here's a definition: an integrated system of beliefs of values, of customs, and of institutions which express these beliefs, values, values and customs which bind a society together and give it a sense of dignity, security, and continuity. Culture is a learned behavior of a group based on a shared set of ideas and beliefs, and uh, it's cumulative, it, it grows over time, and it's changing. It doesn't always stay the same. Culture changes, as we well know in America today. It includes things like how we speak, how we dress, how we greet people, how we relate or express affection in public or don't express affection in public, the way in which we, we extend hospitality and to whom we express hospitality, how important things like art, music, sport might be to us, or not important at all. Uh, <clears throat> how we make friends, how we look at time, and all sorts of other things. This is all culture. Point B. 
What is the problem that culture creates? Let's, let's go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians 9 because this is the passage that we are going to be referring to <clears throat> all along. <clears throat> I think I'll go ahead and read the pertinent section, um, though we're only going to look at the details in a moment. Starting in verse uh, 19 in chapter 9, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, the context of this, uh, this apologetic, this defense of his way of acting is that culture has caused the problem. Culture has caused a great problem for the Christians and, and for the apostles. Uh, and there's, there's argument. There are high feelings. There are uh, disputes going on about should we allow these people to behave that way and yet let them into the church? Should we allow them not to have this manner or this custom and still call them Christians? And so the problem that culture poses is that we always have a tendency to see our merely cultural practices as a matter of right and wrong, absolute truth or error. Now, of course, in the New Testament, Part of the reason was at one point, some of these practices were commanded by God and they are no longer with with the coming of Christ. But nevertheless, whatever the original source of our cultural ideas, practices and and, um, customs, that which is merely cultural is that which is not commanded by God in the present time. But we continue, we grow up with it, it's in our blood, we don't think that there's any other way of thinking or doing things. And so when I went to France, I thought that greeting someone by kissing them on both cheeks was, was uh, not decorous. It was um, not prudent. It was too intimate. And to tell you the truth, it was not quite right for a Christian. Now when I come back to the States... I think that hugging people is much too intimate, much more intimate than giving them bees because you don't really kiss. We call it bees, the kiss, the kiss, the, the kiss, greeting by kissing, because you don't actually kiss them on the cheek. You touch your cheek and you kiss them to the air. And to me now, it seems like it's a much more Christian way of greeting than this full body contact, you know, that you sometimes get with hugging. I really have a problem with you guys. <laughs> But when I got over there, I thought this, this is a matter, in some sense, of better and worse, and the fritter or worse. Think about this. When I went through cross-cultural training, they alerted us to the fact that in some cultures, one blows his nose on the ground. And they think it's very improper of us to blow our nose in a cloth that we're then going to keep with us in our pocket for the rest of the day. How could you do that? <laughs> the problem of culture is like the problem of authors. Every book that is ever published, every article ever written, and every speech delivered should have the subtitle, How to Be More Like Me. Right? Because when you write a book, that's your object. You think you're right about something, you want everybody else to see it. And it may be right about some books, but culture is like that. It's everybody should be more like me. 
See, what is cultural adaptation? It's basically the process by which a missionary sets aside his own cultural baggage, adapts the host culture in order to become one of them, in order to become an insider. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 9 again with me, and we see that this is how Paul says it over and over again, his goal. He says in verse 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. I became one of them. Uh, To those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. And so cultural adaptation is the effort as much as possible to be seen and considered by those people as one of them. I think one of the greatest, uh, most encouraging things I ever heard, uh, maybe three years ago as I was telling the people in the Grenoble church plant, I'm, not, I'm really not going to be around much longer. We are really at the point where I need to get going and because you need a French pastor. And uh, a lady came up to me after the General Assembly when I'd again made these, these remarks. And she said, we don't need a French pastor. To us, you are French. And that was, yes, that's what I've tried to do. And I know we can never do it. We're far from, you know, she exaggerated. But, but anyway, uh, that's, that's our goal. That we want them to see us as someone who's become an insider. Um, yes, so he says, I become all things to all people. Let me give you one more definition of cultural adaptation before we move on to point two. This is a different, different way of saying it. The process of adapting without compromise of biblical truth or ethics to another culture in such a way that the Christian faith can be conveyed in words and by methods that take into account the whole cultural situation. It's an excellent definition. Okay, we move on to point two. Great. Okay, well, so can you stay with us throughout? Is, is that all right? Okay, thank you. Okay, great. So, point two, cultural adaptation is commanded by God. Uh The Lord is our example, who became not only a man, but a Jewish man, adapting Jewish customs, Jewish dress, eating Jewish food, because his earthly ministry was to the Jews. If we look at 1 Corinthians 9, we see that cultural adaptation, and this is point A, is a moral, we can go on, yeah, let's see if I can, can I do it, ooh, there we go. Okay, yeah, I, I, I can just, I can do it for it, yeah. Cultural adaptation is a moral act of servanthood and love. Go back to the text of the Word of God with me and notice that in verse 19, he says, I have made myself a servant of all that I might win more of them. The Scripture teaches us that Acculturation or cultural adaptation is not a a modern American technique for evangelism. It's a moral act of servanthood. It is becoming a servant. Um, And that is a highly spiritual and moral act and not a technique. If we look at other passages, for example, in Romans 14, 15, Paul says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So the fact of changing my diet is part of walking in love. It is a highly moral issue that we're dealing with when we talk about cultural adaptation. And later on in the same chapter in Romans 14, Paul says, Whoever thus serves Christ by changing his diet or or these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. It really is amazing, isn't it? What we're talking about when we're talking about the subject of cultural adaptation. If we approach it from a negative way, 
And those who have been on the mission field, you can see it right away. Missionaries who do not adapt well to cultures, who remain standoffish, who spend their missionary career, and I've seen it, saying they, they always do like this, speaking of the host people, and comparing, comparing all the time and contrasting, and almost always it's the host culture that's in, considered as inferior. These, these people, if we, if we look at them in, in the measure that we do it too, that I do it too, I, I'm guilty of this, have a superior attitude, which is a moral issue, have a lack of sympathy with the host people, which is a moral issue, and have a lack of self-denial and sacrificing their preferred ways of doing things, which is a moral issue. B, cultural adaptation is a deciding factor in, ex- in evangelistic fruitfulness in the cross-cultural context. Paul, in this passage, says over and over again, in order to win. So he says, to the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, in that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win. And he summarizes it all by saying, I do all these things for the sake of the gospel so that I might save some. And in the beginning, win more. So the lesson is very clear. You will win, or your missionaries, whoever you send out, or your cross-cultural ministry in the States, there will be more people won to Jesus Christ without any doubt if we are careful and loving and servant-hearted and discerning and cultural adaptation. We will simply gain their ear for the gospel. Whereas, if we're seen as an outsider who will not come in and accept and adapt, we will often put an obstacle up to their initial openness to hear of salvation in Jesus Christ. I have seen many times enough to be absolutely convinced that when there is a missionary that has exceptional fruitfulness among a people, it is always someone who is exceptionally integrated into the culture. Embracing it and seen by that, that people as one of them. A, a universal thing. The missionary who does not well embrace the culture, as I said, places an obstacle. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 9.12 We endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And again, in Romans 14.20, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God by lack of cultural adaptation. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anything, anyone to make another stumble by what he eats, or by how he dresses, or by how he greets, or by... And go on and on and on. This is a huge thing, isn't it? When we come to realize how the apostle looks at it. I want to give you a a very flagrant uh, example of this. Um, We had our family camp uh, this summer. And uh, our main preacher was a Reformed Baptist preacher from the city of Carcassonne in France. And his name is Hisham El-Mustayin. Reformed Baptist preacher. He's from Morocco. His father is an imam. He's converted. His older brother is converted. One of his younger brothers is converted to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? But Ishan told us this story. He said there was a man who had, I think he had come to Morocco, or perhaps it was Algeria, but uh, in in any case it was a Muslim country, and he was um, a Westerner. And he, was, he had come to minister to Christians in a large conference setting. And in the course of his preaching, his first message, I think it was, he wanted to give an, uh, an illustration of how men uh, rebel against God 
and refuse God's word. And he took his Bible and he put it on the ground and he stepped on it. And Ishan said that he scandalized the congregation and his ministry was finished right then and there. He had to leave. They didn't want to have anything more to do with, with this man. Because in the Muslim culture, the book of God is sacred and holy. And no one ever puts the Koran on the ground. Ever. In fact, most Muslim families who are pious have a special uh, little place, uh, often a little box or, or something with a velvet uh, cloth where the Koran is stored in, in their home when it's not being read. A lack of cultural sensitivity. Putting an obstacle in the way of the gospel. The last thing is that, whoops, cultural adaptation is a measure of how much the gospel and its blessings mean to the missionary. Look with me again at, uh, at our passage. Uh, near the end of the section that we read, in verse 23, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So our cultural adaptation is a sign or a mark of how much we value the gospel and its blessings and how much we want to share in those gospel blessings. Here's, here's what I mean. If we refuse to adapt to our host, host culture as much as possible, what we are saying is that at the points that I don't want to adapt, my culture is more important to me than the gospel and its blessings, which I could enter in in a fuller way if I would leave those cultural aspects behind. We move on now to the third point. We've said, what is culture? We said that uh, cultural adaptation is commanded by God, and now cultural adaptation is complex. If we read verse, uh, again at the beginning, uh, Paul says, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of my eyes. I've got it on my sheet here. I don't know which verse it is, but you'll, you'll see it in the section. I have become all things to all people that by all means I may save some. I do all for the sake of the gospel. And what we see there is that cultural adaptation is a call to constant and multifaceted flexibility. All peoples, all things. I've got these Jews, these people under the law. I've got the weak. I've got the Gentiles. And I'm adapting constantly in, in many different ways to many different people. And it's a constant call upon me to be alert and aware and discerning and sensitive and servant-hearted. It's complex also because it involves many areas. Let me, let me just give you a few areas. And, and my goal is here uh, partially to help us as an association to realize perhaps the need that we have to think more about doing something additional for training the missionaries that are going out in terms of giving some cross-cultural training before they go out. This is, my, this is something of my, my burden here. Uh, okay, many areas. One, worldview and thought categories. If we don't understand something about the thought categories of the culture, we may be for years saying the gospel in certain ways, and we think we're saying one thing, and what they're understanding is another uh, let me give you an example. In the animist cultures in, in, um, in Africa, uh, the world is seen as a, as a uh, I want to say an ensemble, as, a, as something that's all together in all its parts, and the physical world is inhabited by spirits. Uh, I remember one day I was at a soccer match in a village in the Ivory Coast, and at the beginning of the match, one of the teams went down to the river to invoke the spirit that was in the river for victory. And when they started to lose, one of the, their fans told me that the other team must have a witch doctor in the woods opposite that was teleguiding the balls. And he was more powerful than the spirit in the river. Uh, I remember going out one day with a friend to relieve ourselves in the woods. And we ran upon a tree that, had a sh that was wearing a shirt. There was a shirt on this tree about this high, 
And I said, what's that? And they said, well, this is the, uh, the spirit that lives in, their tr- in, this, in this tree is the spirit that the, the villagers worship in this village. And so the, the world and physical objects are full of spirits. If, if you get malaria today in Africa, they know now that it comes from a mosquito, but they say, what spirit sent that mosquito to me instead of to him? So this is the reality. Now, think about this. You tell someone the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And what does the animist understand? He says to himself, there must be a powerful spirit in those blood cells of Jesus so that the blood of Jesus, and he would think the, the thing, because that's, it's in things that the spirits dwell and inhabit. It's, that, it's the physical blood of Jesus that is a substance, spirit-inhabited substance that has power. And you're going for years and years, the blood of Jesus. And they're saying, the blood of Jesus cleanses from sin. And they're thinking, spirit-inhabited physical article. And you're meaning the merit of Christ's death. And so we must enter in, we must learn and observe and enter into the cultural worldview and thought categories. Uh, I remember a missionary telling me one time in Ivory Coast, who lived off in a, in a very primitive area in a village, that um, he noticed that a man, uh, when he would go into town, there was a man who was just about every day sitting in a certain place reading a newspaper. But the strange thing was that often he was reading it upside down. And he found out later that this man had seen that the whites were always uh, sitting in front of papers that had markings on them. And as an animist, he thought that there were power in the markings, that if you got close enough to the markings, that you would receive the power to be able to make machines like the whites did, to invent things, and, and, and to do all these things that the whites did. It certainly came from the spirits that were in those markings. So he didn't read. He didn't even know what reading was, perhaps. But, uh, but he thought that he could gain the power that was in the markings on the paper. And without understanding those things, how can, how can we get the gospel to that man? Dress. When I was uh, on the staff of Campus Crusade in Africa, we had a rule all over Africa that women, the staff women, could not wear trousers. And the reason, was a wonderful reason, because the only women who wore trousers in the 1980s in Ivory Coast were the prostitutes. But imagine arriving and not knowing that. And your wife is, hi, how y'all doing? <laughs> Time. The view of time in Africa, time is viewed in a very different way. It's not time that counts, it's events and people that count. And so, in Africa, if you have a, a, a rendezvous, an appointment with someone, and a friend shows up at your door as you're about to leave, it's the friend who comes first. And even if you're an hour late, you've done the right thing. And when you finally pitch up and your friend's been waiting for an hour, and you say, my, my cousin was at the door, perfectly, perfectly understandable. Uh, uh, I remember going to weddings that started two or three hours after the beginning time. And nobody moved. And nobody complained. Because it's not the time that matters. It's the event. It's coming. It's coming. Hospitality in France... We made the mistake our first year of um, inviting a neighbor who lived just opposite us in our apartment building six months after we moved in and we developed a really nice relationship with her. She'd been in our apartment and us and we'd, eat, we'd, we'd seen each other. And uh, so we saw her in town and we said, could you come, could you and your daughter come to dinner with us? And she said, no, 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 no. And we just thought, oh, it's so embarrassing. We went away and... We asked some of our French friends, what did we do wrong? And they said, you don't invite someone to dinner when you've only known them for six months. And that, at least in the non-Christian world in France, you invite them first for, for an aperitif. 
Uh, and, and then only later could you invite them for a meal. Hospitality. Food. Uh, fortunately, I was warned before I went up country the first time in Ivory Coast that in Ivory Coast, the head of the fish is the most choice portion. And when you come as a visitor into a household, you're given the head. And not to eat the head in the eyes and the brain would be a great insult. And so, sure enough, the first time that I went up country and was with a pastor in his home, I was given the fish head and I knew what to do. So, food. Greetings. In Africa, the young must greet the older first. And sometimes I remember being in Nigeria with a, with a missionary and an old man. He came to visit an old man. And from about that wall to here, so, I don't know, maybe about 40 feet, they started greeting already. And the young man had to bend down as he was coming to meet the old man and say certain things. And the way of greeting is very important. We were told if you go to get your visa renewed, you certainly must not in, in, in Ivory Coast uh, come to the, uh, arrive at the, 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 the um, oh, I'm thinking in French again. Anyway, arrive to the fellow you're dealing with and, and state your business. You must first ask about his health, about the health of his family, and certain other things before, if you want the visa. If you don't want the visa, say, hello, I'm, I want my visa re- uh, renewed. And that you've insulted him. So you, you're almost guaranteed that you won't get it. Gestures. Uh, in Africa, missionary nurse greatly offended the nationals by calling the next person in the waiting room like this. Well, the upturned finger is only used for animals in, in, in Africa. To tell a person to come, you turn the hand down and use all the fingers. And these are things that you've just got to learn. Chewing gum in Africa is is not at all a thing to be done. At least it wasn't in the 80s. We were told immediately by the nationals the week I arrived in Ivory Coast, don't chew gum, you Americans. <laughs> Language. Think about this. This is a true story. A missionary arrived in South Africa. He had begun to learn the culture and minister there. His family uh, had um, hired a Zulu girl to, to cook for them as his the case with African families or non-African. Everyone has someone working in the home in this way. One day they're eating and they hear a crash. And he calls and says, Eunice, did you break the dish? Calls into the kitchen. And Eunice replies from the kitchen, no, the dish fell from my hand and it is dead. Now, what would be your response? Now, be honest with me. Think about it. This girl is trying to justify herself and she doesn't want to take responsibility for what she did. Well, the missionary learned that in the Zulu language, you only use the active tense of verbs if you mean that you did something on purpose. It's intentional. For her to say, I dropped the dish, would mean literally, I dropped the dish on purpose. Or, sorry, I broke the dish. I broke the dish on purpose. And so she used a passive verb and a static tense. Uh, the dish fell from my hand and is dead, static, to indicate that this thing happened, but I didn't mean to do it. That throws a completely different complexion on the girl, on how you see her, and how you see the event. Language can sometimes be very complicated. Relationships. Americans ask questions. All the time. And with the French, this is often uh, offensive. You've met somebody on the bus and you're talking, what do you do? And already, you're asking me what I do? He doesn't know me. Do you have any children? How long have you lived here? And by the time the American asks the fifth question, it usually takes about two and a half minutes, the French is bristling. <laughs> the treatment of elderly. The thing that scandalized the Africans most when I was in Ivory Coast, they would tell me, was that they had heard and could not believe it was true, but that Americans send their parents or grandparents to a home somewhere away when they get old. 
Because the treatment of the elderly is almost a sacred thing in the African context. And they said, the Christians said, how could Americans be so sinful? How could they not see that this is a blatant sin against the word of God? Rituals and traditions. And we, we just need to have some sort of a knowledge of the history of that people, of, uh, of everything that we can learn about them. A survey of 5,000 missionaries in India revealed that over half said that it was not necessary to know anything about Hinduism or Islam in order to be an effective missionary in India. Can you believe that? It's really hard to believe. I had some friends down in X. I would visit with them and sometimes stay with them when I was coming down from Grenoble to preach in the little group uh, here. And uh, they were American missionaries. They were fine, godly people, reformed. Uh, but they uh, never watched French news or listened to French news on the radio. They did not take any newspapers. They did not know the name of important French politicians, writers, entertainers, historical figures, or philosophers. They didn't know what French cuisine was, the name of French dishes, French cheeses, or French wines. They didn't know many French idiomatic expressions. They went out and did their ministry and came back. And when I was around the French people in the group, I realized that they really loved this couple, but didn't take them very seriously. I'm... This is, uh, this is the bulk of what I'm bringing to you, so don't, don't worry. I'm, about, I'm, I'm more than halfway through, okay? Cultural adaptation is complex because it sometimes depends on timing and other situational factors. Let me just give you an example, and we'll move on to the next point. Robert Morrison was a pioneer of gospel missions in China. He adopted Chinese dress soon after he arrived in Canton in the early 1800s. It was a time when foreigners were... Uh, not allowed in China except certain traders who had to live in a certain place. And he realized pretty soon that adopting Chinese dress, customs, and food was a mistake and was attracting unwelcome attention to him. About 50 years later, Hudson Taylor and William Burns adopted Chinese dress and it opened all the doors to them and made all the difference in the world. So sometimes we have to be sensitive to, to, to these sort of issues. And the last uh, reason that, uh, the last thing about the complexity of cultural adaptation is that often it's something that, that can only be learned from nationals. Uh, the United States government uh, had an agency that was building latrines in an Asian country, Islamic country, outdoor toilets, and spent a lot of mo money in this uh, largely, in this poor community. When the project was completed, none of the people used the toilet. Because the toilets had been built facing Mecca. And no Muslim would use a toilet that was facing in that direction. There are some things that we need to ask about and learn about from the nationals because it simply wouldn't come into our mind unless the nationals help us. The next, uh, and this will be much quicker, the next point is that uh, not only is Cultural adaptation commanded by God and complex, but it must be cultivated. Paul says, though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant of all. And that, uh, that implies uh, something that he's had to cultivate and think about. And how do I do this? And what are the points at which I need to change? And um, this... Uh, this means that the missionary, when he gets on the field, must be more than anything an observer. When I went through cross-cultural training in, uh, in Los Angeles, I had to live in the black community for, for um, three months, go to a black church, live with a black family, and do door-to-door -door evangelism and right next to Watts in South Central Los Angeles in the, in the 80s in a neighborhood that was filled with drugs, uh, shooting during the time we were there. Uh, but we had to... One of the things we were asked to do was observe everything that we could about the, the uh, African-American culture and to report back on it about things that were different from the white culture. And uh, the, uh, the missionary must be an observer. 
You go to a certain city in Latin America and you see lots of shoe stores in the city as you're walking around. Ah, lots of shoe stores. What does this mean? And so you look at people's feet. And you begin to notice that even the people that are pretty poor, they've really got nice shoes. And then the next thing is to ask. You go ask uh, someone from the culture, well, are shoes really important in this country or in this city? And this process is going on constantly, constantly, constantly with the missionaries. Cultivating uh, adaptation to the culture is also an attitude of appreciation that when I observe, I've got to observe with a certain attitude and not another attitude. It's not looking down and, and criticizing. It's I want to be curious and I want to find out what is wonderful and amazing and interesting and cool in this culture. Uh, when we first got to France, I thought that the, the French habit of when you invite someone over for a meal in the evening, you start the meal at 8 and you, you, you certainly don't get up from the table before midnight. I thought, this is outrageous. <laughs> you know, these people are absolutely off. Now I love it. It's fantastic. And I understand why. Uh, because they love to talk. And they love to talk about politics and philosophy and lots of profound things. It's not just the weather and, and that. And they need four hours to sit there and talk. I think it's, I think it's great now. Uh, but I didn't understand it, uh, the, the why behind it uh, at the beginning. Observe, appreciate, identify with the people of the new culture. Take it on as yours. Observe it and appreciate it to become that, to, to, to adapt yourself, to leave your Americanisms behind and take it on. And then handle frustrating differences with wisdom. Our missionaries need to know, and we need to know in our cross-cultural ministries, if we have them, that uh, the, the frustrations will come. And, uh, because sin is in culture too, isn't it? And sometimes we run into things that are, that are very frustrating. And we must uh, be careful not to uh, react and to judge right away. Um, If you think about Eunice and the broken dish, you can see why we need to stop. Hold it. She said the dish died. And I'm tempted to think of it this way, but I need to stop. Suspend judgment, which doesn't mean that I'll never judge something in the culture and call it wrong. But I've got to understand first. So I'm going to ask why. I'm going to go to someone and say, now, why would my girl who cooks for me say that about the dish? Someone who's able to tell me. So this process is extremely important. Um, you can go the high road or you can go the low road. The high road is openness, acceptance, and trust. The low road is fear, suspicion, and flexibility. When we go into a different culture, we're going to meet frustration, confusion, tension, embarrassment, but we're going to react in one way or the other. And if we're on the high road, we're going to observe, listen, inquire, and it's going to eventually develop rapport and understanding. If we're on the low road, we're just going to view it from the monkey's point of view of the fish. And we're going to criticize, rationalize, withdraw. And more and more we become alienated from the culture and isolated. And I've seen missionaries do that more and more. I had a friend that, uh, who was living with me at one point in Ivory Coast. He was a missionary. And he was an accountant. And he liked things to be on time. And he could not understand or accept how perennially late the Africans functioned. And he would not accept it. And he did not try to understand it. And he eventually left. He lived in constant frustration. Just almost to the boiling point. He took the low road. Cultural adaptation is commanded by God. It's complex. It must be cultivated. And then it must be controlled by biblical criteria. Of course, you know this. Uh, but uh, because sin affects cultures, missionaries have to be countercultural in some ways and develop a national church that is a counterculture in some ways. Um, let me give you a couple of examples 
Some are very obvious. Indian women were burnt on their husbands' graves in the Indian culture. Well, of course, the missionaries had to oppose this with great courage and with the word of God in their hand because this was sin against God in the culture. Some things are not quite so clear on the right and wrong scale. When my wife spent seven weeks uh, on a short-term mission trip in Japan, uh, the woman of the home did not eat with her husband and the guests. She sat on the floor while, while they ate. Now this would, you, you may not to be, be able to say this is absolutely sinful for a woman to, to do this, but there may be some sinful things behind it in the, in the worldview and way of thinking that need to be addressed. So, uh, my wife uh, teaches English to businessmen in France uh, now, and um, she has had them on more than one occasion when she's encouraged them, they're making good progress, say, please do not compliment me. If I make errors, tell me those errors. Because in the French school system, a teacher never speaks to a student to say that you've done well, but only to correct them if they've made, made a fault. So for the French person, when you begin to compliment them, they suspect, hold it, what are you trying to get out of me? What are you trying to do? There's something that's dishonest here. And so, now, there's something wrong behind that, isn't that? We can't accept that culture. But my wife, in going into these business situations, she's got to accept in some measure that she can't be totally Anglo-Saxon and compliment in the same way she would in our own culture. She's got to be a little bit stubborn and give some encouragement She's in a non-Christian context, uh, but she's got to respect that it's not going to be understood as encouragement. Now, in the church, it's different. We're teaching the people to be more encouraging, countercultural, different, going against it. And I'm just saying there's not enough encouragement. Uh, look at your school system. Look at your culture. Uh, we, we can do those sort of things if we do it lovingly and the French say exactly right if you do it the right way. They see it, they agree with it, and they wake up to an area where they need to be different as the people of God. There are some things that are just different. They're not right. They're not wrong. The French eat their meals in separate courses. They do not eat everything together. And when they see an American eat everything together, they think they're barbarous. <laughs> they really do. And uh, when we come on furlough in the States, my wife's frequent question is, uh, can we eat everything together or do you want to have the salad first? And because she knows, I'm going to say, can you give me the salad first? Because I really like to eat that way now. But it's, not, it's just different. It's not right or not wrong. And so those things we can easily adapt to. Let me ask you a few questions. I'm right. I'm getting right near the end. How would you evaluate the following practices if you were a missionary on the field or if your missionary called you and asked you a question? Two services on Sunday. Is that cultural? Is it biblical? Is there something biblical, but maybe the form could be changed? Men wearing ties in worship service. Standing to sing hymns. Seats in rows facing the pulpit. Hymnals that we read out of and sing out of. Remember that some cultures are basically illiterate. And they sing their hymns by an oral tradition which they learn them. Um, babies in a nursery. Which just couldn't happen in, in Africa. Women have breasts for... Well, the case where the baby makes noise <laughs> and the, the young babies are put on the breast and that solves the problem and everyone's listening fine to the sermon. So things are very different culturally in, in those ways. A congregation praying out loud, everyone at the same time. Now, I'm not making a judgment over on any of these. Some of them may be, may be something good, maybe something dangerous, uh, but I'm just throwing out some things. There are some things that we can't compromise. We can't baptize people in sand. We can't do it. Though some missionaries in the Muslim countries have adopted this practice to be culturally relevant. But the scripture commands us that we baptize in water. 
And that the image of the cleansing water means something all throughout the Bible, from the water of the Red Sea to the waters of Noah to to the waters of baptism. We can't say that the true God is Allah because Allah has no son. And to call God Allah would say that he is that God that you have been speaking of all this time. And he's not. We cannot permit church members to marry a second wife after their conversion. Though if they have multiple wives before their conversion, I don't think it would be wise to tell them to send one away. Uh, But there are certain things that we can't compromise on. Uh, In this, uh, in the book by by Eric Wright, he gives, uh, and we can't go through this, but you can look on your on Acts 15, and he shows how the council's decision basically said, in doubtful things, liberty. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles. In other words, all these Jewish things like coming three times a year to to Jerusalem, we're not going to make it difficult on those things. Liberty and non-essentials. Secondly, in necessary things, unity. And so there's unity in theological essentials. That's the first one there. We should write to them telling them to abstain food polluted by idols. Unity in moral essentials. Abstain from sexual immorality. And then in all things, charity. And this would be from the meat, abstain from the meat of strangled animals and blood, which is not a moral issue, issue, but in order to have charity with brothers who can't handle this and are weak, we're going to adapt to them. And so there are these different sorts of ways in which we're handling different issues. Uh, The last point is that cultural adaptation must commence before you arrive on the mission field. And I wanted to get uh, to get to this. What are we doing as an association about the missionaries that we send out? Um, does any, can anyone give me an example? We have begun to ask that, um, and this was true with Robert, that they attend the, uh, well, it's MPI. Okay. Right. Which is very expensive, but it appears to be a very thorough Okay. Which includes how to learn language, right. cultural adaptation. Excellent. Good. And, and although we can't demand it of the local church, right. strongly encouraging that. Okay. Great. Maybe maybe the elders could listen to this uh, this message if they have a difficulty wondering why this would be necessary. But that's excellent. And I, I won't say anything more about that. But but just that I think in our association we need to be absolutely convinced that when the man hits the ground in the foreign country, he's already begun the process of cultural adaptation by informing himself and understanding some crucial things that he needs to know right away. Other things he can, he'll only learn them by being there. And we're always learning things. But there are some things that, that we need to be equipped with not only knowledge about certain things, but knowledge of the methods of how we can learn the other things. The mindsets and the ways in which we can, can increasingly adapt to another culture. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll stop there.